Fan Morning Show is back on the air one hour later than normal, but it's perfect because it leads you straight into the re-debuting Jay's Talk Plus. Oh, which I'd say should be like really, really fire, but Blake Murphy is a rational guy. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if we'd be so kind on the Blue Jays falling to last place in the American, least, American League East. They are the American least. Uh, after a sweep at the hands of the Baltimore Orioles. But it was a busy weekend. We may gloss over that just a little bit because we got Brooks Kapko winning a PGA Championship. Panthers and Vegas holding commanding 2-0 series leads in their conference finals. And oh, yes, the Maple Leafs parted ways with Kyle Dubas on Friday. Just not as we predicted, timings as we predicted. The move, maybe not so much because I don't think anyone could have predicted what happened on Friday. It's Justin Cuthbert and Brent Gunning. Gunner, good morning. How oh, are we? Oh, we're we're okay. Uh, you know, normally I am a get me to this mic guy. Anytime, like my wife, nobody in the world is more mad when there's breaking news in sports and I don't have a show than my wife because guess what? She gets to listen to a show however long the rest of the day is just with my thoughts on the matter. <laughs> I have never been more happy to get 48, 72, however many hours really? it's been. It bothered me. It, okay, because I needed it. The first blush reaction you would have got would have been full on chicken little the sky is falling there is no plan everyone's going to be gone there's going to be a complete teardown in the words of logan roy no succession spoilers time for a blood sacrifice is what it what it felt like to me and i'll be honest i don't know how much farther away i am from that but it's just with a more rational and and measured approach uh, i could not believe that presser i have seen a lot of people referring to it as the most honest thing they have seen and it was certainly very forthright uh there's two sides to every story i'd very much like to hear uh the other side of that and that's not a shot at Shanahan. it's like two people can have the exact same conversation and take away very different things very different versions of it truth often somewhere in the middle obviously we know people have asked dubas to speak he said, uh, I'm going to chill on that. Uh, maybe the Penguins have asked him to speak. Maybe we'll talk about that. But what a weekend in Leafland. And yeah, normally want to get to the mic, but was actually happy to have a little time to uh, to corral my thoughts because there were a lot of them. Okay, you said something there that I think is a great launch point. It was the most honest thing we've heard from the Maple Leafs in some time. So I got to ask the question and I'll do it rhetorically or at least try to answer it myself <laughs> first. Why was it honest? Why was Shanahan brutally honest? Why did he lay out the timeline uh, in the failed Kyle New, uh, Dubas negotiation. And I guess my answer to that would be that it's self-preservation mode at its most extreme form. Uh, I think there was an expectation, despite the failures of this team, to have Kyle Dubas back. They tried to have Kyle Dubas yep. back. They engaged in contract negotiations just last week, but also uh, previously when they were trying, to, uh, after the Tampa Bay Lightning series has been reported, and also during the season, it seemed mm -hmm. like they wanted to work towards this. And for whatever reason, Kyle Dubas just never got to the point where he put his hand on a pen or pencil, pencil, it's not gonna be a pencil, on a pen to sign a contract. Maybe I, it's, it was, maybe it's probably an a docu-sign. No, I think it's like, I think Shandy just slipped around and was like, uh, this thing's just gonna ask you some questions. I have no idea what they are. Mm -hmm. uh, I will take 10, 15 or 20% of your contract. Thank you. I, I think this was a big, big, big damage control thing. And the honesty was really to sort of cloud the other things that were left unsaid. So I don't actually think it was that honest. I think it was self-serving in its honesty because there are no way, and you said it, there is no way that this was the whole story. There are two sides to the story and we are going to hear the other side of the story. But for now, Brandon Shanahan got some, you know, applause for what he was able to do in that he actually gave you some something real from the MLSE boardroom, which is 
uh, not always a common occurrence. So I, I uh, it just popped up red flags for me. Like the, I, I, the, you're not just like forthright for a reason out of the goodness of your heart because you want fans to know exactly how it went down. This was, don't get it twisted, a power struggle. And Brandon Shanahan's out here trying to make it so that Kyle Dubas was the one in the wrong. And he is the reason why he is not the general manager of the Leafs anymore. And he is the reason this organization is suddenly looking at a real terrifying and uncertain future. Very uncertain. I mean, you know, there seemed to be, we go back to when Dubas spoke on Monday and obviously there has been retroactive reported reporting. And at the time we were trying to figure out, so is, is he around? Is he talking to people? And it has come out that the Wednesday after that, after his presser, he was there running not only the exit meetings that day, but off season planning meetings. To me, that doesn't mean they are leaning towards him coming back. If he is sitting there actively planning things, then that to me means they have basically made their decision. Now, everything in life is a negotiation. And I know we always say, oh, it's only money. It's not mine. I mean, it's kind of mine. This I got Roger's stock. But you understand what I'm, what I'm saying there is that there does come a push and shove point. But the thing I keep coming back to is as soon as I heard that, it became very evident that they are now on to at best case scenario. Plan B. This is at best case scenario, the second way they saw the offseason playing out. It is clear as day they wanted him back in terms of who is the best general manager going forward. And now you don't have that. And this is, you know, the whole thing that was talked about when it was Lou versus, versus the Dubas so many moons ago was, can you have somebody learning on the fly at the most crucial point in franchise history? Well, if that was the most crucial point in franchise history, where are we now? And forget this window. I'm talking about the next five weeks. Where are we? And if it's Brendan Pridham, who they said is going to be effectively acting as an interim guy until maybe he becomes the guy who knows what happens there. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying Brendan Pridham can't do it, but I'm saying that whatever concerns you had about Kyle Dubas learning on the job, Ditto for Brendan Pridham. Now he's worked in an NHL front office as opposed to Dubas being the Marley's GM. I understand there are some differences there. Nothing is a complete apples to apples comparison, but that's what I keep coming back to is just at the best case scenario, this is the second best plan you had heading into the offseason. Okay, so what what were you left wanting to know? Because we did get the detailed thing. We got we got information that hey, uh there so was... one one thing that I think we still don't we still don't and correct me if I'm wrong, because there have been about ten thousand pieces of reporting and twists and turns and that is not not a knock on the insiders that is a knock on how many twists and turns i think there have been through it all this this one side of the story i'd be be very very curious to know what how much of a sticking point of a crux of things was sheldon keith's employment for next season i don't i don't think it means anything you don't think so oh well we just saw we just saw jason spezza leave right away and I, I was trying to figure out the perfect like no, movie no, but, scene to relate okay. this to. Remember Titanic when yes. the guy who's supposed to be running the boat yes. jumps on the dinghy? <laughs> Sheldon Keefe jumped on the dinghy. He didn't follow Jason Spetz okay. and Kyle Dubas out that door. Mm. Like I understand that's part of it, but I don't think well, no, Sheldon but, Keefe has anything to do with what this I mean by What I mean by, so you don't think, and I, again, I would, this is to me not the ultimate question, but one I'm maybe most curious to know is, do you think there was a world or a crux of the, or a point in the conversation and who knows who's thinking what? I mean, we can imagine it's it's Dubis backing Keefe and Sheldon saying get rid of him but you don't think that could have been a sticking point there of you got to let go of the coach no I don't want to if it is a if it is a bit of a power play there and it's not just about roster decisions that would certainly be a big one as well that is the thing I may be most curious about is how much Sheldon Keefe had to play in this and I don't put that on Keefe I mean is it two guys fighting over who gets to who gets to make the call on him well either way you're he's he's toast either way 
He, like if, if Dubas just if gets, up, in, gets up and leaves, which he effectively did, yep. uh, then we know that the, the certain fate of Sheldon Keefe is decided anyway because Shanahan that, wants him gone. I, I honestly think that Sheldon Keefe is irrelevant in this conversation. I, I don't know that he's for sure gone. Here's, I, what, I, here's what I do think okay. is relevant. Sure. That you said, hey, Sheldon Keefe's got to go. You've got to make this decision. Yep. Maybe Kyle Dubas didn't want to make that decision. But the issue is not even Sheldon Keefe. It's Shanahan saying, hey, you you've to got make to this make decision. this decision. And that's what I get out of this. I think this was, was this was a power struggle. And it's been reported about this power struggle. But it was also reported by our guy, Elliot Friedman, that this was nothing they couldn't overcome. And maybe we got to that point where it's like, hey, things should be okay here. That's exactly how Brandon Shanahan felt on Monday, Tuesday, even after... Shall, uh, Kyle Dubas went to the mic and said way too much mm-hmm. at his year end. I think they thought they could get through this, but K- Kyle Dubas played a game where they lost some trust there. But I think Kyle Dubas also attempted something here. Yep. I think he tried. I, I think he went for the overthrow. Honestly, I think he went for the head and the neck of Brendan Shanahan and it didn't work out for him because immediately when he came back with those demands, I'm sure some of those demands were about power mm-hmm. and, and, Sh- and Shanahan was, was very uh, quick to point out how there was a little bit more money involved in the deal. But what else Mm -hmm. did Kyle Dubas ask for? I think that's the important question that needs to be asked. And I think Kyle Dubas wanted, it was a power move. I think he wanted something that Brendan Shanahan was never going to give him. And because he was at the end of his contract, Shanahan's like, no, I still hold the gavel and I am taking you out before you can put into anyone else's head that it's me that should be next. Well, and, the, and for anybody wondering why, well, why can't, why does Shanahan have to have final say? Why can't he play nice? Cause the second Brendan Shanahan says, okay, Kyle, I, I have no veto power over you. I am not the, what is he doing there? And I understand there's more to his job than running the hockey club. He is the alternate governor and there's business stuff that goes into this. And I think a lot of people think Shandy just sits on cat friendly all day going, Hmm, what's Dubas doing? There's a lot more that goes into it than that. But if Kyle Dubas does goes the autonomy route and says, nobody can overrule me, then there really is no point of having a hockey person in that role. It might as well mm-hmm. be businessman X. So there was definitely some self-preservation there. The other part that I, I think I've heard a lot of people talk about this, and I think Brendan Shanahan made it perfectly clear that this didn't play into his decision, but is the, is the not, what played into Shani's decision was the, are you in or you out? There is something to that. But I've heard a lot of people say, is Kyle Dubas in the right headspace to do this right now, given everything we saw on Monday? Now, again, we have Shanahan's version of this, how much it played in. I suppose he's the decision maker, although there's a board above him who might have had calm or thoughts about all this as well. How much do you think, and again, this is kind of overstating it, but the mental well-being of Kyle Dubas play, played in all this. And again, that's probably overstating it too much, but but when you have a presser like he did, it's a fair question that, it, or even if it's not a fair question, it's one people are going to ask. Well, it gave Shanahan something to build on for sure because he underscored and, and and circled and highlighted the fact that, hey, this was the moment where I started thinking differently. But when I look back at that now, my theory is that there was something said, maybe, maybe there was, there was uh, some back channeling going on beyond Shanahan where it's like, I am unhappy with my role as it currently is because of the power dynamic or the inner workings here. And I know you know that I'm very, very valuable here, but I don't know if I can be the guy you need me to be because of the current situation, right? So he floats that out there. Mm -hmm. Then he tries to go for the jugular with the, hey, I need this and that. And Shanahan just sort of stops him in his tracks, right? Like, I, I do think there was 
And, and I couldn't believe what Kipper was saying right after the press conference where he was like, that was tactical because it, it was a guy who was emotional and crying and like really, really torn up about how this job has affected him and his family. But I do think it was strategic in the moment. I don't know exactly why he pulled that card, but I feel like everything Dubas did over the last week did have some purpose because at the end of the day, he came back with something and it was immediately met with the ax from Brandon Shanahan. Yeah, there there is no doubt about it that it is not the there was some leverage play involved, I think. But I also think that just because you use something as a leverage play doesn't mean it wasn't true. Like all of the things mm-hmm. he says about the toll it took on his family. I've said I've seen a lot of this, the and I'm gonna call it revisionist history. Maybe people felt this way in the time of oh, well, now that we see all these demands he had, clearly it wasn't about his family. Again, I'm gonna use the example I used when we talked about Kipper's reporting of the jet. If I'm trying to sell my wife on something and I tell her that I have a jet, or conversely, if let's let's just say we're making four million dollars yeah. a year when I'm thirty seven years old. Yeah, or let's just say conversely. And again, who knows, but people talk about work with their spouses. Who knows if it's just every day Dubas is at home and he's kicking off the shoes and putting on the slippers like, oh my God, I'm sick and tired of this tug of war every day. And it's like, you know what? I will agree to sign up for this if you can make that problem go away. Yeah, maybe he comes home angry every single day, not because people are bothering him at the grocery store, because he cannot handle (laughs) his work his work balance or the, the, the work dynamic where he just cannot do what he wants to do because of his boss. Like that wouldn't be the first time that no, happened. No, that wouldn't. would be happening everywhere all the time in every walk of life. Nope. That would be a reality that people face. So it, yeah, I mean, I, I feel that like, I feel like that's a very, very reasonable explanation for what went on. Yeah. And then the other, the other thing that I kind of pivot to now is, you know, how much, and I, again, I think people, I don't think people can spin this as a great sign in the immediate future, but you saw obviously the mo- the biggest example of this is Spezza tenuring resignation right away. Now he's a special assistant to Kyle Dubas. There was no real future for him with whatever this new regime is. Oh, well, people thought he'd be the next GM. Well, that that was that was not happening. Ridiculous. There was no way in that the only way Jason Spezza was going to have a future with the Toronto Maple Leafs is if Brendan Pridham becomes the next GM. And I don't know how those two guys feel about each other. If I'm Brendan Pridham, I'm not saying there is ill will towards Jason Spezza, but I'm saying, hmm, you just you just got here and I I'm no longer sitting next to Kyle. You are. So who knows if those two are even simpatico, but he tenures his resignation. You've heard this from a lot of people that there are just a lot of dubious loyalists throughout the organization. Now they're all not all in the position of Jason Spezza where they can just up and quit their job, but you are going to see a bloodletting here over the summer, over the next year. I would imagine of a lot of people up and down the organization leaving. Now, if you're somebody who says they had to make a change, that's probably great news to you, but I don't see how in the immediate future with everything that has to happen. And this goes to pro personnel and player scouting and the draft and everything. I don't know how you can spin that as a positive. If, if you thought everything needed to be shaken to its core, I can see how in a year from now, that's a good thing that you've been mm-hmm. able to reset the regime. But right now, I don't know how that can be anything other than bad news. Do you find yourself now rethinking every like decision that was made over the course <laughs> of the last five, six, seven years? Yeah. Like, um, the first, one of the first names that came into my head was Nazem Kadri. Mm. It was like, okay, so they traded Nazem Kadri very reactively. Yeah. Did they both feel like that needed to be done in the immediate aftermath? Or was one like, hey, you're doing this? Or was one like, hey, I don't want to do this. And the other was like, no, we probably should. And they're fighting over it. And yeah. they come to the decision. Like, 
there are a lot of things that you can point to. There are a lot of mistakes. There's actually grounds for dismissal if you really, really mm-hmm. boil it down between the goaltending issues and the contract issues and the inability to draft and develop players that actually helped you on this roster. Like, if you looked at Kyle Dubas's complete body work, you'd be like, yeah, you took the most promising core this organization has had in light years and you didn't do anything with it. Like, you could very well make the argument that he does not deserve employment anymore, but the fact of the matter is the Maple Leafs decided he was still their guy and he's not their guy for reasons that are unrelated to the actual job that he did. He is not the general manager of the Maple Leafs because of a fight, a tug of war, squabble. an entanglement, a squabble, whatever you want to call it. He's not the general manager because two people could not see or get on the same page and see eye to eye. And it might be so that Brendan Shanahan's like, yeah, I, I, I did lost trust in this guy, and it's genuine, and there's reason to. Like, he's emotionally unstable. Maybe there is something to that, but really, I think two guys could not coexist any longer, and that's why the preferred general manager at the most important time in this organization's history since the last most important time in this organization's history is not the general manager, and the future now is like completely completely terrifying well there's there's one other there's one other element to this and this doesn't i mean the kyle dubas decision affects the hockey thing of course but and i don't want to spend too much time in this uh for for fear of uh repercussions but masai ujiri just had a fight with this board about compensation championship winner basically not basically face of the franchise outside of kyle lowry probably most important raptor in history he just had a fight about compensation with this board. So the idea of Kyle Dubas, who, and I, you know me, I am a Dubas backer. I am a guy, I am a guy who from the pretty much outset has thought he would be the right GM for the Leafs and thinks he probably still should be the GM for the Leafs. But even I am going to say, yeah, if they're going to fight with Masai Ujiri over money, the idea of you coming in and saying, no, 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 it's more, it's more, it's more. That's probably going to mm-hmm. ruffle some feathers. And look, that's part of Shanahan's job too, is being the mechanism between those two levers, the levers that actually operate the team on a day-to-day basis. That's what Masai's doing with Bobby Webster. So the fact that that guy could have a fight over compensation, it's just let's not let's not pretend that that's not part of it as well. Well, maybe that's the key comparison here because Masai's the one fighting for more money when Dubas is the one fighting for more money. When Dubas is contemporary is Bobby Webster, yeah. who essentially, well, this is the, I don't want to say he's opinionless, this gets but when we talk whole, about Raptors' decisions, Bobby Webster is not the guy we think about it first. Is, it is, it is a, this is my favorite thing, and I don't, I, I mean, I really think it just kind of comes down to, for lack of a better term, marketing. But it is amazing to me that with the Leafs, it is the Shanna plan, and Kyle Dubas, where, well, no longer, but wears all of it. And not to say that people aren't critical of him, but generally speaking, all of that ire goes to Kyle Dubas. And when things are going well, it goes to the players. And to a certain extent, Dubas, but it feels like more, oh, look, the players have finally done their part of the job. With the Raptors, and no knock on him, Bobby Webster does not exist for a big, big part of this fan base. I remember being at the parade and mm-hmm. people going, who is that guy standing next to Nick Nurse? That's the GM of the team. He just does not exist. Masai takes all the slings. He gets all the credit. But that seems like a lot more tenuable situation. If I got to sling all, if I got to take all the arrows, let me spray all the champagne too. Whereas in Toronto, it felt like there was one guy who was here to eat it. And yes, there were a lot of people, hands up, myself included, who loved to heap credit on him. But there were also a lot of people who loved to point the blame in his direction. So it's very, it's always been very interesting to me the, the dynamics of how things play out between the two kind of MLSE teams. I know. 
Toronto FC well, is there. Well, Kyle but Dubis, give me a break. Kyle Dubas was making the decisions. Yes. Kyle Dubas is the we guy. Think, well, we think to go back to your Nazi. No, Cadre. but like, okay, so Kyle Dubas was identifying talent. Yes. I yes. don't. I don't think Brendan Shanahan unearthed David Camp. I don't think that's what happened. No. I, I mean, I, I really do think that he's more big and, and there's been reporting this. stuff. Yeah. Guys in the athletic have reported this where they wanted to make decisions and it would have to go through multiple levels and come back to him. It would slow down the process. I, I don't know if multiple le- levels is anything more than Brendan Shanahan because why would it go right. beyond that? He's the li- liaison between yeah, yeah. ownership and the hockey operations department. And I think that's probably a kind way of saying, yeah, I had to get everything approved by my boss when I just want to run this team because you want me to run this team. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's what ultimately it comes down to. And the difference between Dubas and Webster is that Webster is just guy, guy who got promoted yeah. when you won a championship and Ujiri, Ujiri can just conduct his business through him. Yep. Right. Yep. And, and that maybe that's what Shanahan wants to conduct his business through Dubas. When in reality, that's something Dubas doesn't think. Uh, and, and rightly, I think that's something Dubas thinks he's better than that is, that is an ultimate truth. Sir, a moment is what exactly did. And this goes back five, I guess, years ago, what exactly did Brendan Shanahan think he was getting in, in Kyle Dubas? And if it, if it was, and I don't think he would use this term, but if it was just a puppet and it turned into this guy yeah. and I want a guy, I could, like smart guy. He can who, bring smart things to me and I can make those decisions. Yeah, But then it's all of a sudden. And I wonder, and again, it's like, there are a million sliding doors moment in this. Maybe the cadre trade is one of them. The Colorado avalanche wanting to interview him is the other one, right? If they never reach out, do they just kind of stick with Lou and things filter themselves forward? And maybe Kyle Dubas doesn't get, and I want to be clear. I think he has every right to feel this way, especially as he ascended, but his chest doesn't get puffed out so much. He doesn't feel so good about himself. And look, you want people who are confident, but if you thought you were getting a guy who's going to be a middle manager for lack of a better term, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden he's uh, you know given the keynote address and he's, it's like, Whoa, what's going on here? I thought I was in charge. There, there's a lot of interesting things at play. And I like, Again, I want to be clear. I don't think Shanahan's going up there and spinning some completely untrue narrative. It's just that's his perception of how things played out. And I'd very, very much like to see the other side yeah, of things. Yeah, he gave you his truce. And and ultimately, I think some of – I think Dubas is not talking right now, but I think some of Dubas's truths have come through with the reporting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think most specifically in The Athletic that we've seen um, some of that. So – uh, yeah, fascinating, fascinating times. We'll continue to break this down on our shows moving forward. We do have a busy string <laughs> poor, of guests today. Poor Ailish. Just, I mean, on one hand. I was trying to think of that the other day. Like when she, uh, her last day, I think, was the day of game. I came in for a playoff game, whatever oh, no, it was. no, it wouldn't have been. I was going to say game three, but that makes no sense. No, it was, uh, it was into the second. It was, it was into the second okay, round. Okay, maybe it was before yeah. game three of the second round. Yeah. You know what it was? It was a Sunday night. They played game three. Yes, they didn't show up. That was our first yeah, show together. Right. Uh, we have a bit. It's <laughs> a nice happy start for me. <laughs> uh, little sidetrack there, but we got Frank Saravelli, Luke Fox, Mike Fuda. I mean, can you do better? Uh, three better hockey guests than that. Then we have Caitlin McGrath to talk about the nightmare that is the Blue Jays right now. Bob Herrig of Sportsnet Illustrated, or Sportsnet Illustrated, Sports Illustrated to talk about. Uh, Acquisition. <laughs> Brooks Kepka and we got Marty Tur- Turco at 9:35. Let's quickly get to Brooks because you just uh recorded a podcast before this show about Brooks Kepka's win at the 105th PGA Championship, his fifth PGA Championship is or his third Wanamaker, sorry, his fifth major title. Uh where does this put him? I guess is the simple question. Here I can't believe I'm fixing my lips to say it. Did Brooks Kepka just pass Rory McIlroy for the golfer of his era? 
Uh, still a lot of time left, still a lot of ink to be written on that script. Uh, Brooks, I could easily see winning two more in the next three years here. Rory, I could see winning three more over the next decade. It feels like the shelf life is so much longer than that there. But, I mean, he's passed him. He has more majors than Rory does now. And, you know, there's a lot to go into place in the game and all of that. But golf is... Kepka is one of the few winners that can really excite people. You know, there are other nice stories. If Sander Shoffley would have won a major, our boy Adam Stanley who picked him would have been thrilled, but that mm-hmm. doesn't do anything. Kepka is one of the few guys who gives you, nobody gives you the tiger bump, but he's the, he's as close as you're getting now. Rory would have done the same. I think a guy like Jordan Spieth would have done the same, but I mean, I don't even know if Justin Thomas winning would have, would have done what it does to have a guy like Kepka back. He brings the jocks in, the guys who think golf isn't cool. They love him because he doesn't really think golf is cool. Where it puts him, I think it's a very fair question, or it's a very fair theory to say that he is the golfer of his era. He has the most majors of his era. He's with Phil now. He's past Rory. It's just, it's incredible what he's been able to do. And yeah, I think it's just the game's in a immediately or an infinitely better place immediately both uh to to have him back where he is and the golfer perhaps of this generation doesn't golf on the pga tour Mm -hmm. of course this is a live guy who won the rogue golf league finally gets one uh and and i guess one of the things is like yeah kepka is having his cake and eating it too like he gets to get paid all this money and chill most of the time and Mm -hmm. enjoy the luxuries of being a guy earning saudi money but he also gets to win major championships and i do think like that's overly simplistic in the end like i don't think i think if brooks kept could make the decision right now he would leave live and play on the pga tour because i just think uh not that it's more meaningful or it would be more meaningful that he won this if he wasn't a live player. But I do think there's like maybe a tinge of bittersweet where he's like, oh, I was always still this guy and I made this decision. I don't think it matters in the end because he's still this guy and he can go, and he can show up in major championships and, and win them evidently. Uh, but I wonder now if he would make that same decision. There's no chance he would. Uh, the other thing I'll say about this with Kepka is that of all the guys, he was the one who never needed regular PGA Tour reps. He would always talk about it. Yeah, I'm here, okay? You know, it's like, God, you know, God love our RBC Canadian Open, actually. Yeah, he has played in this. But when he comes to a tournament like that, he's just like, okay, I'm here. Who cares? It's not a major. I'll, I'll care about that one when it gets to it. So I don't think this really changes anything. I don't think you're going to see, you know, another exodus of guys. I don't think this really proves anything. I don't think it's going to have people watching live whenever it'll be up against the, the RBC Canadian Open. That's their next stop. I don't think any of that's going to happen. But of course, if you're live, you're going to hold it up as proof positive. But mm-hmm. I don't think it is. If if literally any other guy who is a live golfer won, I think it's proof that you could win being in that system, being on that tour. Kepka never needed it to begin with. So I, I, I think they're going to hold it up as a big win. I can see how live people will want to do that, but I really don't think it changes a single thing in the landscape of golf. Yeah, I didn't hear what Brooks Kepka said after he won, I think he's just won once on the live tour. I think, uh, yes, he did have one win. Yes. I didn't hear what he said after that, but I'm sure it wasn't as emotional. Not that he's an overly emotional guy, but it means something to win major championships. It, it means something to win actual golf tournaments that matter to Brooks Kepka and where he does his practicing. Well, if he gets to lift a trophy after that three round practice session that he has on the live tour, then well, that's great, but it doesn't mean as much. And the other, doesn't mean anything. the other thing I love about Brooks is, uh, and this is really just to tweak McKee who I know is not listening because he has a tea time uh, in a, in an hour or so, but it's, I love that he is not like, he's a live guy in name only. You see DJ out there. He's wearing his aces shirt. Phil's got all his, I think they're called the high flyers gear on mm-hmm. Bryson's in his crusher shirt. 
Brooks Kapka is not wearing any of your dumb live stuff, and I love him for it. He goes, yeah, I'm a Nike guy. I just wear Nike stuff. Okay? I'm not sure why he's uh, not mandated to do that. It's interesting. I, I thought they were all mandated to wear it, and he well, just so doesn't wear it. It's like a, as we've as we learned in Leafland this week, everything's a negotiation, yeah. and everything has a number. And uh, I imagine that was part of it for Kepka. It's like if we know anything about him, I mean, you saw him on the uh, you saw him on the full swing show. He's very very sartorial guy. Likes to wear what he likes to wear. And the idea of him wearing I don't even know what live team he plays on, but the idea of him wearing their shirt was not going to happen. Yeah, I don't and either. and he's the, mo- the and the other thing maybe this shouldn't matter. Maybe it does. I'm going to bring it up because I can't stand live. He hates Liv almost as much as I do. He's embarrassed by it. He doesn't shout them out. This is not Phil Mickelson talking about what a great day it is for the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and, and everything there. No, this is Brooks Kepka who's saying, you know, what is it, you know who it is a great day for? Brooks Kepka mm-hmm. and my wife and my caddy. And that's who it's a great day for. Everybody else can get bent because I don't care about you. I care about me being in the winner's circle. And I love that about Our producer today tells us, uh, Austin Mackey tells us that it's Smash GC is the golf club. That he represents, uh, although he just doesn't do it boisterously. I actually would, I'd say he doesn't represent them. It's like he might, <laughs> yeah. he might suit up for them. They might claim him, but mm. I don't think he represents them at all. Okay, we got to get to break. As I mentioned, we got a long line of great guests, beginning with Frank Saravalli. We will talk the Leafs and more with Frank next. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So one thing we didn't really get to is, I mean, we underlined an uncertain future. (laughs) And we've been doing it, right? But where do they go from here? Truly one of life's great questions. Truly as one of life's great mu- as questions. As much as like Brandon Shanahan. <laughs> just the Jim Ralph. What do we do it, now? It, exactly. What do we do now? And, and I think like clearly Brandon, Brandon Shanahan was mostly all in, but was, was required to change his line of thinking just a little bit and think to plan B. I just don't know how far he went down that road. And we've had names floating around. Brad Chaliving, maybe the, the front runner. The irony is so thick there that it just can't be ignored. <laughs> given that last summer, he lost a mm-hmm. franchise player well, and then traded another for one who didn't work but under his current his regime was, or former regime. It's not his fault. He was put in a bad spot and didn't have a lot of time to make his decision. And that's obviously a very different. Oh, wait, that's the exact situation that he would find himself here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. The yeah, it's it could be uh, the guy who failed with the same task last summer is the number one guy and at least I, in terms of the betting odds. I believe, well, I believe, definitely still the shortest betting odds. I want to be clear of the I, of the names I've seen bandied about. You could do a lot worse than than Brad Treliving. I I have seen my, many worse mm-hmm. set of hands that could be on the wheel. I've also seen better though, and it feels to me the the Brad Treliving thing, if that's where they end up going, feels to me like. It's the safest option when they needed to get something done immediately. That's where it will feel to me. It is not a bad one, but it is clearly not scouring the earth to find the best possible candidate. It's kind of like it's 2 a.m. and the lights came on. And the important context there, and the only real thing we got in terms of steps forward from Shanahan is that they want an experienced GM. That's why the names are who the names are. Let's bring in our next guest, our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Frank Saravelli of DailyFaceOff.com joins us. It continues to grind for us. I know it's not a holiday down in the States, but Frank continues to grind for us. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, boys. How are you? Uh, we are doing okay. So uh, 
your takeaways, your your feelings, the emotions, what did you like immediately glean in terms of knee jerk when you watch Brendan Shanahan detail the timeline of his negotiation with Kyle Dubas falling through? Well, the knee jerk reaction is that I've never really seen someone get slapped like that by an organization on the way out or by one person in a press conference. Usually if something like that happens where I guess the talks just fell apart. You don't really hear anything. It's just kind of like, well, we agreed to part ways and that's it. I mean, even look at something as similar or dissimilar as the Calgary Flames and, and the way Brad Tree Living went out. There was no press conference. In fact, it was it was actually emotional from Don, Don Maloney and um, John Bean, their CEO, basically with tears in their eyes saying how much they were going to miss him. And that's a guy that walked because the organization wouldn't fire the head coach and then did it two weeks later. I, I can't remember in 15-plus years covering this league ever seeing a press conference quite like that. So what what does it tell you about, about the Leaf situation? Not so much where we're at now, but where they found themselves, I guess, last Thursday or not, before Brendan Shanahan spoke last Friday. Do you think it was this massive change at the last moment? Uh, like, what does no, it tell I you don't. about the Leaf situation that it was that aggressive, for, for lack of a better term, towards Kyle Dubas? Justin, how long ago, two months ago, three months ago plus, did I bring up? the idea that there's been friction between Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas. Yeah, we've been talking about it for a while. Long, long time ago. And it's existed long before that. And so I think they've been able to play nice in the sandbox. But the longer it went on last week and there was no announcement of a new deal, no press conference with Brendan Shanahan, once it got to Wednesday, Thursday, kind of knew then that, the longer it went on, the less it meant in terms of it being good for Kyle Dubas coming back as general manager. So the, I think when you boil it all down and read between the lines, what do I think happened? I think Kyle Dubas overplayed his hand Mm -hmm. and it's not just about money. I think money's the only part that sort of made it out in the public sphere. I think there's also probably some friction about what to do with the head coach who obviously Kyle Dubas is tied to. And I I have to think that going back to the conversation we've been having months ago, that the play here for Kyle Dubas was a leverage play of power and control. Who has the ultimate authority and final say on hockey operations decisions? And I think, at least from how I've understood the situation, is that Kyle Dubas has wanted less say and full autonomy, less say from those above him. Yeah, I, I think what I got from it is Kyle Dubas tried to overthrow the current regime. He wanted control. He wanted it to take over. And I think it comes down to self-preservation. That's one of the, the main things the that comes thing to mind. the only thing it can come down to, and it's the only thing that you that makes someone react the way that Brendan Shanahan yeah. did in that process. And I think he was honest because it was about self-preservation. It was like, this guy acted out of line and we had no choice because he's emotionally unstable. We had to move on. That's why he detailed it the way it was. But I guess if we're talking about, like, attempting to overthrow a boss, 
do you think Kyle Dubas went after it in the complete wrong way? I mean, like, I'm trying to figure out why. And to our bosses listening, we do not <laughs> want advice on this. We're just asking about how it played out in Leafsland. I'm trying to figure out how, like, the emotional thing with the family happened on what was Monday. Oh, and that's then what sent them over the edge. That's what sent who over the edge? I think the Leafs. I, I Well, I, I don't think anything would send Brendan Shanahan over the edge other than, hey, this guy's trying to unseat me in this exact moment and I need to do something about it so I'm just going to get rid of him well that just opened the door that just made it even easier but like was that the start because it's a little haphazard right to be like months ago come on no I I, I told you guys no I I understand that and I but like we've been report we've been told at least that hey this is nothing they can't get over but clearly I think Brandon Shanahan thought that and then they went into Monday and it's like this guy's not doing exactly what I said he was supposed to do and all that crumbled from there but like Kyle Dubas's tactics here like playing that emotional card like I I just feel like and you mentioned it he overplayed his hand what was he trying to accomplish I guess with what he did Monday well, my guess is from his own perspective without, you know, it's hard to kind of analyze this because if you're really cutting through it, essentially what you're saying is that it was fake. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I can't, I'm not in his house. I don't know what the the toll has been like on his family. All I'll say is that, you know, if, if that's the card you're going to play, there's not a single person in the GTA that feels bad for you. Like, no one is shedding tears for you. You've got one of the best jobs on the planet when it comes to hockey. You've made a pretty penny for the last five years, I think two and a half million bucks last year. And there's not a single tear that's going to be shed for you. You know, you talk about the stress of the job. Like if you really want to talk about the stress of a job, like let's go talk to a police officer's family. Let's go talk to a first responder. Let's go do like, that's real stress. Yeah, yeah. This is just hockey. So like, let's put that all in proper perspective. And so I think when you begin to go down that path and you play that card, I, I, you start to lose a lot of people pretty quickly. And I, I, the other part that I didn't really quite understand was that, and maybe this is the perfect segue to what we're going to talk about next, is he also seemed to cut off some of his own leverage. Like the best leverage that he had was, oh, he can just go work somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And instead, when he positioned it like, oh, you won't see me working in hockey next week. It was like, oh, that that's interesting. Like, why'd you do that? Yeah, I looked at it and my theory at the time, and obviously uh, this didn't hold to fruition. And well, maybe maybe Kyle Dubas thought it would and it didn't work out in his favor was that by saying I only wanted to be here, it was trying to kind of get the court of public opinion of, look, if it's only money, what is it standing between? And, you know, we don't need to get in the machinations of it. But how many when is a when is a sports fan ever said, oh, you got to pinch those pennies like if it's just money? I think that's the tact he tried to take. Clearly, it blew up in his face. The, The question I have for you, Frank, kind of where we're at going going forward here is so if it was about a power play and a struggle or leverage you know maybe it's too overstated to say that Brendan Shanahan just thought he was hiring a puppet who was going to do whatever he said now Brendan Shanahan is saying you'd like an experienced hockey person to come in and make those decisions 
are we not just going to arrive at this situation very soon again? Because people can be in lockstep on most things, but unless they share the same brain, there's always going to be points of friction. Were you a little surprised that it was that, or that the Shanahan said that, that they wanted to go with a more experienced hand? And the only reason I say that, I think it makes sense given where the organization's at and the, the big decisions they have to make coming up here. But I just wonder, based on the idea of a power struggle, if that's not kind of setting themselves up for another one a couple years down the line. I don't know. I mean, there's so much to unpack. Like, when did this really begin? Like, did this begin way back when Brendan Shanahan blocked Kyle Dubas from going to Colorado all those years ago? I, I It's hard to say because, like, each relationship is different. And also, like, you may have someone in there next who just sets real clear boundaries from the start. Like, I, I don't know. And, and more to the point, is there someone out there that's willing to and ready to be collaborative, knowing that the person you're dealing with on the other end is not, to use a, a Flyers example, is not a cable executive that has no hockey experience. What you're dealing with is a Hockey Hall of Famer who has, you know, been around the game his entire life and probably has a pretty damn good view of how things work. So I think that's also part of it to consider. Um you know, are we going to have the same issue again? I, I kind of doubt it, but um, I'm also curious, like, does that person with experience, does that automatically, you know, discount or, or take out of the running someone like a Brendan Pridham? I don't think it does, but I mean, there just seemed to be an over-reliance or an over-emphasis on that idea of experience. Frank, do you think the job is attractive under its current conditions? Like, oh, we're looking at the list of names, and it's like, okay, these are the guys who are experienced, uh, but they're uninspiring completely, and and maybe it makes sense for right now. Maybe it makes sense as a Band-Aid solution, but when I talk about attractiveness, like, do you think any GMs that are currently working who are experienced and actually having success would be like, hey, do I have have an out here? Is there any way I can get involved here? Is it that attractive still, or is, like, the current, is the problems that uh, 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 Kyle Dubas rather encountered sort of resonate across the NHL world? No, I, I think this is, you know, one of the very best jobs in sports, like not just in hockey. And on, I, on paper or in practice? Both. Okay. Because at the end of the day, yeah, are there contract hurdles to navigate? Of course there are. Are there important decisions to make? Yes. But you're inheriting a team that for the, you know, their core players are still mostly in the prime of their career, uh, almost all of them. You know, you've got, some cap space on the way coming. Uh, and if not, you can certainly create your own if you want to. You have basically limitless resources by which if you want to do something a little different, you can do that. You've got a rabid fan base. You've got attention. Um, you've got everything that you could ever want. And it's going to come with a pretty high-paying contract as well as the GM. I, I, don't, I don't know how to say this in radio terms, but I was talking to one of the candidates Uh, or potential candidates that's been on everyone's list and just doing my homework over the weekend. And I was asking this exact question and he said, quote, I would give my left bleep for this job. It's like working at the Vatican. I'm guessing, I'm guessing it wasn't. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. It does answer the question. I I'm with you. It is like, it is like any important job in the world. 
with an important job comes a lot of expectations, comes occasionally a lot of headaches, but it is also the road to the biggest piece of glory that you could possibly have in the, in this sport. So yeah, I think that's, uh, if you actually have any of those bleeps, this is the job. If you can finally be the person that puts the Toronto Maple Leafs over the top or helps get them there, the players are going to do it, but helps put them in that position to succeed and win that first Stanley cup since 1967. Like, is there a better legend status flex in, in all of hockey? I mean, we can we can maybe go North American pro sports, honestly. Like the Red Sox thing's been done, the Cubs thing has been done, the Cleveland Guard done by the same guy. Too, oh, well, exactly. That's not. the what's what's he doing? I don't know. We brought in soccer guys. Ralph Kruger uh, once was uh, once was a name bandied about. I don't know. I've heard worse ideas than his, than, his name is out than, there. Than his name ep- has been out there than for sure. So. When we look at when we look at the time crunch this team now finds itself in, and you know there is obviously a lot of blame to be laid at Dubas's feet, but the situation the team now finds itself in, they do not have a GM. There is Brendan Pridham who is operating under the interim tag, or I guess not technically the interim tag, but he's got his hands on the wheel. How big of a time crunch is this team under, and is that going to impact the type of candidate that they're able to attract? Obviously, if this was a year-long process, they'd be able to scour the globe and they'd be able to recruit their dream candidate. You know, is the fact that the Leafs are such a bat signal, does it make it easier? Like, how difficult is this hire that they now have to make, Frank, in the time crunch that they have to do it? Well, it's critical. I, I just, the time crunch, it, it's... It is what it is. Like I don't, I don't view it as overwhelming by any stretch. Like because this job is so attractive, because the list of candidates, you know, could be as long as you make it. You know, if you really are looking for someone experienced, and Brendan Shanahan knows sort of a general vague idea or list in his head of of who he's thinking about. You know, maybe you, you take some time, and I'm sure he was probably even doing this. You know, midweek as he was you know, waiting to make a final decision, you start to put together that, that short list probably pretty easily. If, if those are your qualifications, is it five people? Is it seven? I mean, it's, it's May 22nd, the Pittsburgh Penguins and Calgary flames had always had June 1st circled on their calendar. And, and both of those teams missed the playoffs. So they were done playing on April 14th. Their searches took a long time I don't know that you need a long time. And I know that this sounds absolutely crazy, but if you really wanted to, June 1st is you know not until a week from Thursday. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they could have someone in place by then. And I don't even think that's a drop-dead date. I just think you need someone in place for you know draft week, for... Um, you know, really when all the trades begin to go down and that's, that really isn't until after the cup is handed out, you know, June sort of 19th at the earliest is when all those transactions begin to happen. Like I'd say you'd want to have someone in place before then, but we're talking a month from now. So when I think back now to Kyle Dubas saying he wouldn't want to be anywhere else, I, I kind of think if I'm to guess, it's like, Hey, let's get people on my side here as I try to overtake a government. Uh, pretty yeah. important. Um, but now things but have changed, But it also kind right? of set it up, if you think about it from his perspective, like if he didn't get what he wanted, had the Leafs sort of played nice on the way out and just gave the traditional, like, mutually agreed to part ways, he could have just then at that point come out and said, this just wasn't a fit for my family. And then when they 
sent out the this, this statement that they did saying that the Maple Leafs decided to part ways. This wasn't a mutual thing. And then Brendan Shanahan did what he did. It didn't leave any wondering left, but that's at least how I viewed the part. You're so you think that the Leafs did him a favor by saying, hey, this is on us. You now free and do free and clear to do whatever you want, despite what you said? Well, I don't know that that's a fact either. Is he actually free and clear? Or does he have to wait until June 30th? Do they need to ask for permission? Yeah, I definitely don't know that. But Fridge had the Penguins wanting to ask. To me, that would imply that he needs it, but that's just an implication. And obviously, you have sources as well, Frank, not trying to cut your grass there by any means. But but I guess what I'm... And I think just for a matter of fact, I, I do believe that the Penguins' search over the last three to four days has actually hit pause... I don't know how attractive the Penguins' job is to Kyle Dubas. I think, obviously, we'll all see and find out. But the Penguins, I'm told, didn't want to make a hire until they knew for sure that Kyle Dubas is a no. Mm-hmm. Do you think Dubas They just wanted to do, do their due diligence to make sure, hey, we're not missing this candidate if he is a possibility. Do you think Dubas gets hired before or this summer by someone? Um, well, I think you have to consider the openings, right? Like, so Calgary, we believe is going to be filled as soon as today or tomorrow by Craig Conroy. Mm -hmm. That leaves potentially the Sens. Yeah. That's the one I've missed. I've circled the entire time. He grew up a Sens fan. I I don't know who's going to be the winning bid. In fact, I think that that could be solidified as soon as today. I do think, at least from the people I've spoken to, that one group is is sort of the front runner at the moment. But do they have a plan in place with what they want to do from their ownership and GM perspective? I, I'd, I'd imagine these groups have all done their homework before and know who they want to target. Well, that's interesting timing because Jason Spezza, of course, walked out the door with Kyle Dubas. Not uh, like this. No. I, I, I mean, Jason Spezza said he wanted to make his home in Toronto and he moved here and he's got the house and the kids are uh, in school or beyond school at this point because Jason Spezza's as old as Jason Spezza is, but it just feels like that's almost too perfect of a story to ignore. It, it does seem to connect a lot of dots. Like I said, I think it comes down to who the ownership group is. My understanding is the front runner over the weekend appeared to be the Kimmel family. But not we're not there yet. Very interesting stuff, Frank. Uh, cannot thank you enough for all the insight today. And uh, honestly, uh, you've uh, you've joined these guys all year long, but I've been with them for the past couple of weeks, so I've enjoyed talking to you uh, the couple times that I have. Uh, thanks so much, Frank. Uh, really, really appreciate uh, you you joining us today. Likewise, guys. Have a good week. There it goes, Frank Saravelli. This insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Calm. So just to reiterate there, the Kimmel family, not, Jeffrey and Michael. No Jimmy. No. Every time I think I'm like, one, wow. One fewer M. It's doing that well. Uh, no. They are with Nico Sparks and Snoop Dogg. I cannot live in a world where Kyle Dubas and Jason Spencer lead the sentence to glory with Snoop Dogg whooping it up with them. Like I, I actually, I thought every time I think I have had the final twist of the knife in my sad Leafs life. There's always somebody waiting around the corner to just bludgeon me over the skull. <laughs> that would feel pretty fitting, I got to say. Uh, let's get to something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yum, yum, yum. Um, so Michael Block, despite Brooks Kepka winning the PGA Championship, was kind of the story? Not kind of. Was the was story. Was the story. Was fully and completely the story. Uh, Michael Block is a PGA pro. A guy who, you know... Gives lessons. Gives lessons, but earned his way to yeah. the PGA Championship. Made $300,000 by finishing tied in 15th and got an invite to next year's PGA Championship yeah. because he placed top 15. So a big, big week in terms of, hey... Live a lifelong dream, moment in the sun, 15 minutes, a whole lot of money, a story that you'll tell grandchildren one day. But people aren't just going to leave it at that. No. Michael Block is now one of the hottest commodities at golf, and he was invited last sponsor's exemption to the Charles Schwab Invitational or Open uh, Challenge. Challenge? Invita- it, look, challenge. Charles Schwab. They got, What's the difference between Challenge Invitational? Uh, an invitational, invitational smaller field. They have a little more discretion as to who comes. A challenge, typically, regular PGA Tour event. If you got your card, you go play it, okay. typically. It's a challenge, and Michael Block will be at the challenge hosted by Charles Schwab. This weekend with the last sponsor's exemption. Now, apparently, he's being invited to the Canadian Open with one uh, spot opening up in the field. And now the invite has been sent to Michael Block. So it could be a block party all summer okay. long. I'm okay. I love like the story was great. Hole in one, by the way. I kind of buried yeah, the lead. Did. A hole in one just to get himself in position to come T15, even though he was very, very good for the first three rounds and obviously, uh, you know, placed pretty heavily despite that hole, hole in one. But that's what gets him to the top 15, gets him to the PGA next year really is the, the the pinnacle of the movie that may be written about Michael Block. But my question is to you, like, should this be a thing now? This is kind of, is it already David Ayer's territory where it's like, okay, you had your moment, now it's late night circuit? Yeah, no, so the David, the difference is, is Michael Block didn't do anything to anyone. David Ayers did something to me and Leafs Nation, and they paid his checks, and then he went down to Carolina and whooped it up. That was a straw that went too far. You'll never get me to say a good word about him. He might be the greatest guy alive. I won't say it. Uh, in terms of this, it'll run its course, okay? Michael Block's gonna go to the Charles Schwab and uh, hit to break it to everyone out there. He is going to shoot a million and not make it to the weekend. And guess what? That's okay. This should be how it ran its course. A week ago, this guy was folding shirts in a pro shop at the club in California he works at. And yesterday, he was shushing people on the 18th green so Rory McIlroy could putt in mm-hmm. silence because they were so excited for him. Enjoy the ride. He's got an invite to the RBC Canadian Open. We'll see if he takes him up on it. I don't know why he wouldn't. Uh, enjoy the ride while it lasts because it's not going to last very long. So just enjoy it. This is what I worry about when guys who don't, Oh, don't ask him any questions. I did say this on my golf show pod today. Let's, let's all agree. Handshake right now. You and I'll do one. Everyone listening has to agree to this. No looking into this guy's past, future, or present. I don't want to know anything else about him. He <laughs> made a hole in one. It was a great story. I don't want political beefs or beliefs or beefs. I don't want Twitter likes involved. I don't want to know anything about him other than his name is Michael Block. And he no, is but a we sick will. golfer. We will because he's going to go to all these events and he might shoot 28 <laughs> over. And he, as you mentioned, miss the cut. And that's what I worry about all the time when someone who is a common man mm-hmm. gets their moment in the sun to actually play with the pros or to be on the ice or to be mm-hmm. on a golf course with Rory McIlroy. Like, it can work for a second, and then it might be disastrous, and I do worry about that. But this is a great story. So shout out to Michael Block, the Block Party, uh, the Blockheads. Are you a Blockhead? Yeah, sure. I'm a Blockhead. Why not? I actually was a Blockhead on the weekend. Might not be a Blockhead moving forward. <laughs> uh, Luke Fox is after the break. We'll dive more into... What the Leafs did on Friday, what they're going to do now that they're searching for a general manager, and all that uh, the Dubas-Shanahan rift entails. Luke Fox, Sportsnet, after the break.